This is Dominic Keating, Malcolm Reed, Lieutenant to you at the Motor City Comic Con. Just wanted to say uh, keep on listening to Tricks in Sci-Fi. Greetings, everyone. This is Rico, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, podcast 308 for December the 5th, 2010. How is everyone doing today? I hope well. I'm doing pretty well. We've got some snow here in Rockford, uh, Illinois. Uh, we've got about uh, eh, maybe five-ish inches or so. Kind of kind of came Friday night uh, into Saturday. Not too bad. I've actually pretty much stayed inside most of this weekend. might go out. A little bit this afternoon, take some pictures. It looks like the sun's coming out now, so that's always nice when you get some bright sunny days and some snow on the ground. Uh, it's a, pretty much the first snowfall here for the year, or for the season, I should say. Anyway, today, enough about the weather. This is not the weather podcast. Are there weather podcasts out there? Probably. I'm sure there are. Uh, but this is the Geeky Trek uh, podcast about all things sci-fi, fantasy, and Star Trek, of course, and Star Wars, and all kinds of good stuff. By the way, anyone watching the Clone Wars these days, is it turning into just sort of this, like, political, anti-war, blah, 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 in the in the Senate? I, I, I don't know what's going on with that show, but it's it's kind of, uh, it's going in a direction I'm not really all that pleased with. I, I mean, come on, where are the Jedi the last couple of episodes? Come on, what's going on? I want some lightsaber fights. Anyway... But that's not what we're really going to be talking about today on the podcast. We're going to be talking about the Enterprise episode Carpenter Street from Season 3, which I think is a fun episode, and uh, it involves time travel. And and any episode of Trek that involves time travel and going back to Earth in the sort of present day is always kind of fun, I think. So that one we're going to be looking at. Uh, I'm actually not going to do a a full um, audio commentary for that. I'm just going to do clips because we've got a lot to cover. Uh, A good chunk of the show today is going to be talking about the... Uh, a play uh, that is uh, with with music and everything, but the the geek factor is this is called uh, a Klingon Christmas Carol, and a friend of the show, uh, Rick Pete, who lives in this area, uh, has had a chance to see this, and we talked a little bit about it, and he did an interview with one of the guys behind this uh, show, so uh, that's going to be taking up probably about well maybe about half of today's podcast. But anyway, we've got other audio comments from other people and other things to talk about. So, hey, let's get started. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is flying And I will see my dream come alive at last I will touch the sky And I'm not gonna hold down no more No, they're not gonna change my mind Cause I've got 
Well, you'll notice I just used the regular normal Enterprise uh, music there, not the Jen and Angela one from the Girls from Anomaly, uh, the Anomaly podcast, which you should be listening to. Although I do like their rendition of, of some of that uh, tune there. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm not going to talk a lot this week uh, prior to uh, other things that I have to cover, uh, both the Klingon Christmas Carol and the Enterprise episode, but I do want to pass on a few things. I'm not going to jibber-jabber it very much. Uh, so we're just going to kind of get right into it. Uh, Trek, One Trek topics, run Trek story I wanted to say is next year, 2011, will be the big 45th anniversary uh, of Star Trek, starting, if you count, uh, when it first aired in 1966, the original series, to 2011. Do the math. It is uh, 45 years, yes, of... Uh, and I can still remember other anniversaries, the 25th anniversary. Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner did a, a two-man kind of tour around the country, 25-year anniversary, which was, of course, about 20 years ago now. And I remember I saw that in Pontiac, uh, at the Pontiac Silverdome in Michigan. I saw the two of them, which was cool. Uh, and, and just lots of cool memories from seeing conventions. And what I wanted to say is that creation it was kind of probably the biggest, I guess, Star Trek convention holder these days. Uh, is putting on uh, quite a few you know shows and things next uh, year. You can find out information about their shows uh, at Creation ENT. That stands for Creation Entertainment. I, I'm guessing Creation.com was taken, but they're CreationENT.com. And uh, I'm, I'm going to read you just real briefly a list. They're going to end up doing at least at least nine conventions in 2011. Uh, for Star Trek, which is a pretty big number for them. And that's a pretty big lineup of, of Trek cons in 2011 for creation. And some in some places that they don't usually go to. So let's just run them down real real quick, real briefly. Well, one is actually uh, this weekend right now. Anyway, I know we've got at least Warren who lives in, in Hawaii. But in Honolulu this weekend, there is a convention. Uh, also, there is a one on March 11th to 13th, 2011. The rest of these dates will be 2011. March 11th to 13th is in San Francisco, California. April 9th to 10th is in Phoenix, Arizona. I know we have some friends of the show, of the podcast out there. Brian, you got to go to that. We, we need you to go. Take your shirt off. Go. <laughs> and let's see, Vancouver, Canada. I know we have some Canadian friends that uh, listen to the podcast. June 10th to the 12th is in Vancouver. June 24th to 25th is in Parsippany, New Jersey, which I think was the headquarters of one of the companies I worked for at one time. Anyway, July 15th to the 17th is in Boston. Boston, it's going to have a going to have a trek. Oh, that's a terrible accent. I I can do a pretty good Boston one actually when I but not right now. So July 15th to the 17th is in Boston, Massachusetts. July 29th to the 31st is in Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. And August 11th to 14th is the big Vegas, uh, Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada, the biggest probably convention of the year. And from September 30th to October 2nd, they're doing another one in Chicago, in Chicago, Illinois. It uh, looks like Nichelle Nichols. I quickly looked that one up. Who knows? Maybe I'll still be in this area next year. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's hard to think about right now. Uh, I needed a little tea after that, um, thinking about that anyway. Uh, so there's the lineup of Creation Cons coming in 2011. So I think... Um, 
you know, there's going to be hopefully a, a pretty good smattering of them around the country. And maybe if you've never been to a convention that, you know, you might want to think about going the 45th anniversary. It's kind of a little too bad that they didn't have the were you know, they're not going to be able to have the, the next Trek film out in 2011 at the 45th anniversary. It's going to come out, of course, in June of 2012. Not a lot more to report on that. Uh, they're still working on the script, blah, 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 yada, yada. So we're not going to talk too much more about that. But I did want to get that Trek information out there. And now we're going to segue right, right away because, again, I have a lot to cover on this week's edition of the show. We're going to segue into there's going to be two uh, things that were done over Skype that you're going to hear next. The first thing, uh, Rick, Pete, and I got together on Skype yesterday morning and talked a little bit about kind of briefly about this Klingon Christmas Carol kind of introduce the whole thing to you. And then the next part, that I think is about 10 or 15 minutes worth of, of Rick and I talking. And then another 15 or so minutes of Rick interviewing, uh, Rick Pete, that is, interviewing Christopher Kidder, who is, like I said, one of the guys behind uh, this uh, performance that they're doing. Uh, the reason I'm kind of talking about this quite a bit is it's also either, you know the one that Rick Pete saw is in the Chicago area, and I'm going to try to get to that. I haven't seen it. I wasn't able to go. He saw it over Thanksgiving weekend, and I was home, of course, that weekend, but I'm going to try to go in a couple of weeks and see it myself. So uh, without any further ado, here is Rick Pete and I talking, and then we'll go right into the interview with Christopher Kidder that Rick did. So uh, here we go. All right, I have uh, Rick Pete with me over the Skype line here, like the bat phone. <laughs> Although we're not really that far apart geographically right now. So how are you doing today, Rick? I'm doing good. I'm uh, looking little... at all the snow outside the yeah, window. Yeah, we, we finally are getting a little snow here in Illinois. We, you know, it's starting to look, a little, as they say in the musical, uh, or the music, uh, it's starting to look a lot like Christmas, right? Yeah, I yeah. like snow. As long yeah. as I'm not having as long as I don't have to drive into too much. Yeah, that's what everybody says. That's what everybody everyone says, you know. And, and it, it kind of came at a good time. You know, today's Saturday, and, you know, it kind of came overnight, Friday night in, into Saturday now. And I guess we got about five inches or so or something like that here, maybe now. And maybe, a, I don't know, what are they saying? A couple more inches maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were saying, they were saying um, four to six, and I think we've already gotten four. Yeah. Yeah, it looks so, about that way here, too, in, in Rockford. So, Well, the main thing we were going to cover today is Rick recently saw, I guess it was just about a, what was it, about a week ago, right? Only a week ago? Yeah. Yeah, you saw a, uh, I, I guess, it, is it officially called a, a Klingon Christmas Carol? Is that what they're calling it? That's the name. Okay, so... Uh, do they do they use Christmas Carol? Do they put K's in front of all that? <laughs> you know, Klingon Christmas Carol. Oh, that would that would be a bad uh, acronym though for that. Anyway, um, this is uh, it's a play, and I'm going to let you introduce. Uh, we've got a little interview segment that you did with um, his name is Kidder, right? Christopher Kidder is that his name? Or that's correct. Yeah, and he is, I guess, the sort of brain child director is he a director or the producer of this play um christopher is the he's kind of he has two roles he's actually the artistic director for the performing troupe itself and he is the director of the show in specific okay so, okay i got it so um 
So anyway, you saw this Klingon Christmas Carol. I guess they, I'll, I'll let you talk about it for a minute or two, and then we'll play on, on the podcast here the interview you did with Christopher. But uh, tell us just briefly, briefly a little bit uh, about the you know about the show and you know how long it's been going and and where people can learn more. I guess, and that would be uh, that'd be great. Sure. Well. Um... I had this opportunity, a friend of mine who runs another website asked me if I would review the, review this play for their site. And you know, si- what site is play. that? What site is that, Rick? Uh, it's called chicagopride.com. Okay. And, uh, and so they asked me to do it. And I said, fine. And then my friend who asked me knows that I do a lot of stuff with treks and sci-fi so he said well you know you do the interview you can use it for both sites and i said okay yeah that's great yeah so he hooked me up with free tickets which was awesome and then a phone interview which i did over skype with christopher um it turns out they've been doing this in the twin cities in minnesota for since 2007 okay Um, and what they did was they took the christmas carol and they, which is actually a, it's really a story as opposed to a play, and then they converted it to a theatrical production, entirely in Klingon, with a focus that was Klingon. So, you know, it's not about Scrooge and the three ghosts trying to, you know, make him a more charitable human being and and care for his fellow man, because you know Klingons would care less about that. Um, what it really is about is Skuja, who is a coward and a money changer um, on the Klingon homeworld. And the three ghosts, the three spirits of Kalos come to him to try to make him into a honorable and courageous warrior. Um, so they go back, they, they, they follow the same kind of path. They go back to his past right. and they show sort of how he got to where he is and they go to his present where they see his his son or his nephew, yeah. Fred. Um, and then they, and then Kalis of Yet to Be, which was very awesome, um, you know, shows him how things are going to end up if he doesn't change his ways. Uh-huh. So, so as you're watching the play, it's very, you, you, it's recognizable. But uh, but the, the details are different. Right, but right. The play was done very well. It was all in Klingon. Um, right. They, they, they actually they actually went through and did the whole thing in Klingon. And go ahead and uh, and they have uh, sort of like a monitor of some kind for, with subtitles for for the audience. Yeah, they had a huge. They had a, they had a big screen. You know, imagine imagine like a film. You know, white screen. Yeah. And imagine it's only maybe three feet tall, but it's about maybe six, eight feet wide. And they hang it from the ceiling, from the top of the theater, right. over the stage. Yeah. So as you're watching what's going on on stage, all you have to do is look up a little bit, and you can see the English translation of the Klingon as they're speaking. Now I have to say, it would. Did you find? How, how did you find watching something like that? You know, was it distracting? Did it? Did it? How, how did that feel? And to you, to to see a play like that? You know, I found it actually not distracting at all. Yeah. Um, because I know the story. Um, you know, I could watch the action, and even though I don't know Klingon as well as I would like, <laughs> I could still. You know, there's some words I don't. I know and things like. But 
You right. know, I could follow the action and then just look up real quick, scan the. It, it wasn't like a word for word translation all the time. Right. Sometimes it was more of a this is what's going on in the scene. Yeah. Um, and then you get that and then you get, you know, lines, the key lines from the actors. Yeah. Um, so you can read that and then watch the scene and you can pretty much know what's going on. Um, it's really a funny play. Um, there's a lot of humor in it. Um, there's at least three Klingon combat sequences in the, in the play. Right. Right. Um, they use a lot of music as back, you know, background music to set the tone and the mood of each scene. And, uh, and what was re- kind of really cool is that when you go into the theater initially, they just have music playing in the theater while the audience is, is forming and whatnot. And it's all music either from the movies or from fan-generated songs. Ah, okay. So, you know, so I'll, you know, things that were done like Star Trek and putting <clears throat> yeah. on battle music from the movies. They had a lot of music from um, when you're on when they're on Rural Pente, all that background music they had playing. Right. Um, and then in the intermission, they also played music. And would you believe that they played Have Yourself a Hairy Little Creature by <laughs> our good friend Rick Moyer? Did they really? Yes, they did. And well, I that's, heard that, that's fantastic. It was great. I, I texted him immediately on Facebook. I'm like, dude, you are, you are on, t- on Twitter. You would not believe they're playing your song. Oh, that's great. That's great. Did you get a chance? Uh, you know, that we'll be playing, like I said, on the podcast, your interview with uh, you. When you did that interview, that was post seeing the performance, right? When you had that talk with Christopher Kidder, right? Actually, I did the interview on opening night. The night before, I, I actually saw it. Oh, um, I was just curious if you had a chance to talk to him and mention, hey, you know, I know that guy who did that song that you guys used during the intermission. I, I absolutely did. When, yeah. at, at intermission, when it happened at intermission, I went down, and Christopher was standing over to the side, and I said, Christopher, do you know who this is? And he says, yeah, it's some guy I found on the internet. I said, yeah, his name is Rick Boyer. He's one of my great friends. Yeah, and that's great. I want to tell him that he that you're using his music in the intermission, <laughs> and Chris he says, "Oh, we love this guy. We probably have two or three of his songs in our yeah. intermission yeah. Um, compilation." So he was excited to know, know I knew the person who wrote this. Song. Well, the nice thing, and not to get off into that direction too much, but the nice thing you know that might be for them to do would be to to somehow list that on their program i don't know if they did or not did that did they you know to, to just credit where they're getting the stuff from i could see since rick has kind of put a lot of that stuff on on the web for free download you know that's cool and i'm sure he's okay with them using it probably but the you know if they would just you know maybe able to direct them back to uh to his website in some fashion you know or whatever but yeah, I didn't. They didn't have any of the musical credits in the in the program. The program was relatively small. Yeah. Um, but I will mention I will mention it to Chris when I send him an email. Um, yeah, that, you know that might be good. I mean, I know they have a website. Why don't you mention it now, where you can learn more about them and 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 then maybe they could list that stuff on their website even. Yeah, they have um, their actual website is CB Theater. Dot org and that's theater spelled with a T R E at the end. Okay. Um, and that's their primary, the primary um, theater troops website, um, and it talks mostly about what's happening over in Minnesota. But it does discuss the new troop that he's formed here in Chicago. Right. And uh, so they may do talk about the production and a little bit of the history. <clears throat> 
Um, and then there's also some um, WGNTV.com <clears throat> has a scene that was enacted on their uh, morning show on uh, it was Friday morning. And yeah, I pu- I, yeah, right. I think there's a. I, I put a couple of clips up on the forum. Uh, I think yesterday about about the show, or, or sometime in a, recently, and uh, one of those I think may have come from WGN. I think, uh, but they uh, and then it's it's playing where again in, in the Chicago area, and and I know there's another website. I think you can get, get tickets at and all that good stuff. Yeah, you can get tickets. It's at the Greenhouse Theater. Uh, the website is greenhousetheater.org. And um, it actually used to be called the Victory Garden Theater. It's in Lincoln Park, not too far from DePaul University. Um, there's parking, you know, with about a block away. Um, and uh, it's a very nice space. It holds about 300 people. And the night I was there, I'd say it was about half full. Um, Opening night, it was full. Um, and it's, and playing, it's playing through almost to Christmas, right? Is that correct? The, the one in Chicago is playing till, till when? Till the 19th of December. Okay, right. So Sunday the nineteenth, it's its last show. So okay, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I'd still like to get a chance to see it. We were talking about throwing around the idea of maybe going on that Saturday that weekend, like the eighteenth, I, I think. And uh, oh, I'm totally up for going for going again. It was, cool, it was cool. Great. And you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of things that are thrown in, um, just for, particularly for Trek fans. You know, there was um, when, when when Kalis of, of Yet to Be comes. And they're having a conversation, and, and Scooja says, "You know that you, you're 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 the, the spirit I fear the most. You're going to show me what things might, what things could be, the undiscovered country." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's there, there nice. Are a, lot, a lot of little things like that thrown in. Now, did you get a feel from the audience? Like, were were they a bunch of like you know geeky Trek fans like us, or did it seem to be a little bit of mix of? I mean, were there people like anyone in costume or anyone with like T-shirts on of any, you know, any, any kind of what was your feel for that? No, and they, they just looked like theater people. Um, yeah. They weren't, they weren't, you know, it wasn't like going to Broadway. They weren't dressed, uh, you know, to the nines. But right. Um, I would I would say just from the responses, I would say probably more than half of them were Trek fans because they laughed at the things that only a Trek fan would appreciate yeah but there were also people who weren't trek fans there and yeah probably you know people being you know tagging along with their you know wives or husbands or friends that that aren't too into it but maybe yeah go ahead no exactly that's exactly i talked to a few people and they were like well you know my husband likes it and so we thought it'd be a good date night thing right and afterwards (laughs) hey honey we got a date we're gonna go see klingon uh, a klingon christmas carol so uh, (laughs) yeah well that that is very awesome and tiny tim is a puppet Oh, okay. All He's right. He's a Klingon puppet with a with his own bat lift and everything. That's great. That's uh, you know that that that's really uh, it, it's just something kind of different. You know, I mean, some people might think this is kind of a, I don't know maybe a crazy or a silly idea, but I I kind of like it when people take you know what they like you know in Trek perhaps and and or or something and then kind of put a different spin on it. I I, I like that and. Uh, you know, it, it, you're you're always probably going to remember going to see something like that, where you know maybe other stuff you might see, you'd kind of go, "Oh, there's another version of a Christmas Carol on TV or whatever." But you'll probably never forget the you know the Klingon Christmas Carol, all done in in or, you know the original Klingon, as they say. Yeah, and you know Mark Orkland, the gentleman who actually invented the language, right. he is a friend of Christopher's, and ah, okay, he helped them 
partially do some of the and some of the translation, but he also invented lots of new words because right. they were right. words in the play that have never been used in a Star Trek episode. Right. So I'm sure they had to. Yeah, he, he was trying to put the same, you know, kind of take on it rather than just coming up with some gobbledygook or whatever for, you know, uh, Christmas tree or something. I don't know, whatever they, uh, you know, whatever words they needed that they didn't have. Yeah, it, it was it was very well done. Good, um, good. You know, at, at the end when you know Scrooge falls and he buys the the huge goose for the Cratchits, instead um, he sends some boy on the road who should be participating in the uh, the year games and he's not. And the boy says, "I don't have a batleth," and so he says, "See that shiny, humongous batleth in the window." And he gave him a, a purse of money. Go buy that bat lift and go compete in the games. And um, <laughs> that's great. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of adaptations. But yeah, it's really yeah. well done. And next year they're doing this in Washington D.C., which is where Mark Orkland lives. Oh, okay. All right. So they're going to perform there, and then in two years they're going to perform in Portland, Oregon. Wow, they really get it planned out. Are they going to be back yeah. in Chicago next year, do you know, too, or not? Or, or are these just where they're going to take the traveling part of it? Actually, the, the intention is to create a new troupe in those cities. Oh, okay. So Chicago will always have it, just like Minnesota is still still has it. Ah, so they're sort of branching out. I got it. Okay. Branching out. And, All right. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take up too much more time. We got the interview here to play, too, to learn more about it. But uh, you just hang on the, the Skype line here. Rick and uh, but thanks so much for for going and reviewing it I, I know that you put some info up on the forum and uh, like you were saying earlier you put that review up online too so uh, and I'll put links in the in the notes for this podcast so thanks a lot and uh, here's the interview with Rick Pete and uh, the uh, well guru behind this production of a Klingon Christmas Carol Christopher Kidder <laughs> I'm here today with Christopher Kidder, the director of the play A Klingon Christmas Carol, which recently actually will be opening tonight at the Greenhouse Theater Center in Chicago. Christopher, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So your, your current production opens tonight. So are, are you and the cast pretty excited about performing here in Chicago? Absolutely. Absolutely. What made you think to uh, move the production here this year? Uh, well, I relocated myself to Chicago uh, back in May, and so part of that, uh, we split our company in half. Uh, half of it moved here and half stayed in Twin Cities. And this is our biggest hit up in Twin Cities, so we uh, figured it was the best thing to launch the company in Chicago with. So now your theater group that you mentioned has performed many different works that had to be translated into English from their original languages. So how and why did you come up with the idea to translate the Dickens Christmas Carol into Klingonese? Well, uh, back in 2007, about the start of 2007, we had our annual meeting. And uh, we were looking for what can we do as a fundraiser around the holiday time? Because, you know, most nonprofits have some sort of push uh, to raise money at that time of the year. 
And so we came up with, well, let's do a holiday translation. Someone suggested, you know, let's try translating something into Pig Latin. That could be fun. Or, uh, you know, translate uh, uh, something from another language that was a holiday show, like the opera Amala and the Night Visitors. Well, none of those ideas really caught on. And one of our board members then suggested, as a joke, uh, as SEAL-related, that we should do uh, Dickens' Christmas Carol in Klingon. And uh, he knew someone who had been involved with translating uh, Hamlet into Klingon, which uh, a group did back in the 90s. And so he knew it was possible, but he didn't think we'd seriously try it. Um, But by that summer, a couple of us had uh, written the adaptation to be translated, and we teamed up with a club, uh, a fan club, called the IKB Raquel of the Klingon Soul Group, and a couple of their members helped us translate it into the Klingon language. As a fellow Trekkie myself, I have to say that uh, this whole thing is fascinating to me. How did you, I'm sure you had to adapt the story for it to fit within the context of the whole Star Trek Klingon warrior culture, right? That's correct, and, and we did that. Um, <clears throat> the play itself, obviously Dickens is not a play, even though that's one of the main ways that we're all familiar with it is through uh, movies or plays. Um, but it allowed us the freedom to adjust the story as we needed to because we were going to have to adapt it to a stage version anyway. So one of the adaptations you have to do is we took um, Scrooge, or as we call him, Scrooge, and he is no longer worried about, or we're no longer worried about whether or not he becomes a charitable and nice individual because that's not what the Klingons would care about. Klingons are an honor-bound society, so we had to work on the fact that the ghosts were going to change him from a coward and a dishonorable individual into someone who had courage and honor. Also, we we uh, did adapt it so as to honor the fans from the last 40 years. Uh, the ghost of Kalis past um, is uh, an original series going on because he is from the past. And so we, we do try to give little nods like that as well. I, was, I would assume that Kalis had to be in here somewhere. Yep, indeed. So it must have been relatively significant from an effort perspective for the troop to get used to becoming Klingons. Rehearsals had to have been relatively interesting. How did you all prepare for this? Well, over the last few years, we've established a a system of uh, of rehearsing. And the rehearsal process does take longer than a standard play for obvious reasons. You're learning a play that is in different languages. We start out with doing the show in English uh, with the actors and our first runs of each of the scenes. And then we shift to using language. We give them language lessons. Uh, We brought in uh, Chris Lipscomb, who is a member of the Klingon Language Institute, to do a workshop for them one weekend. Uh, We teamed up with Asylum Stunts, who taught us how to do uh, Hollywood-style stunts for the fight scenes, because there are fight scenes in it. We slowly parsed out everything. People learned to read the language, not necessarily speak it, but pronounce it. And uh, then that they learn by way of auditory learning. We provide each actor with a CD of every single line of the show. And so they learn the same way that an opera singer who doesn't speak German or Italian might try to learn an opera by listening to former productions of it. 
obviously there aren't a whole lot of former productions of this show, but we do give them <laughs> the recordings uh, that we produced so that they can listen to them and memorize it that way. The costumes and, your, and the props are very impressive. Did you create all of these yourself? The costumes, the costumes this year uh, were designed by Jeff Stoltz. He is a costume professor at Viterbo University in La Crosse, Wisconsin. He had come to see our productions up in the Twin Cities and loved it and wanted to become involved. So the fact that we were launching the one here allowed for him to do that. Some beautiful brand new costumes for this for the Chicago thing. The props and the set and all of that are designed to fit the show, but they're also designed to be kept simple. What it's all about for us is the language and the piece itself. So that we want that is what we want to get the attention put on. Now, Star Trek has been a part of popular culture for 40 years plus now. I'm sure that our Trek fans are going to really appreciate this show. Would it be fair to assume that uh, you're a Trek fan yourself? Uh, to some degree. I, I am one much more of one than I was when we started. I grew up in the 80s watching the original series in syndication after school every day kind of thing. And the next generation came out when, when I was in middle school. And so I grew up with those. And they, to me, it wasn't really a fan thing so much as they were part of what it was to be an American at that time. It was just part of the fabric of our popular culture. And so there were some truths that I took from that, you know, the the triumvirate of Kirk, McCoy, and Spock was a standard character structure as far as I knew. And, And so... I watched all the movies when we started this project, in all 10 of the movies at that time, in four days, to brush up on what had I missed. And I've become far more involved with it over the years because, you know, the first year we did this, I didn't speak Klingon at all. But people assumed, since I'd written a play that was performing Klingon, that they would come up to me and talk to me in it, and I didn't understand what they were saying. So I've become much, much more involved to the point where now I have friends who have been on the shows one of my friends is Mark Okren, the guy who invented the language, who was kind enough to invent new words for us this year. We wrote four new scenes this year specifically that required new language. So now, moving beyond just fandom, I've moved into the realm of Star Trek has become a large part of my life at the professional level. So. But I'm assuming that you've seen the recent Star Trek reboot last year, and I'm just curious, based upon the interest in that movie, do you think is there any more interested in your show? I'm not sure we've seen that correlation at all yet. Um, I, I think we will as soon as J.J. Abrams decides to put a Klingon in the movie. But, you know, I'm, I'm sort of going out on a limb and assuming that there will be Klingons in the next one. It is the most popular of the non-human races outside of the Vulcans. How has, how has the response been from those who've watched your show who are not necessarily Trek fans? That's uh, one of the places we get most of our new viewers uh, each year. It's not from the diehard fans because they know about us and they come year after year. We end up getting a lot of people crossing over from uh, the theater crowds who are just thinking this would be a fun show, as well as people uh, who wouldn't necessarily set foot in a theater any other time of the year. We, we sort of see this as a, as a show that brings people in that wouldn't see theater because they think they don't like theater, but this is odd enough that they just go, wow, that's weird. Okay, I'll go check that out. And we get a lot of those people back year after year also because it's a good show, and once we've got you there, maybe they'll even come back and see other theater. One of our biggest crossover audiences last year 
uh, we did some raids, which uh, means we dressed people up in costume and sent them out uh, to hand out flyers and such and get pictures with the, with uh, fans and things. We did that at uh, Vikings games last year in Minnesota. And our biggest new influx of audience members were Vikings fans. And uh, so we've done that at the Bears games here, and we'll continue to. And we expect to get some of them in as well. Uh, when it comes down to it, and Patrick Stewart said this once in, a, in an interview that's on one of the Blu-rays of the old Star Trek movies, that sports fans and Trek fans actually have an awful lot in common, at least behavior-wise. They'll dress up in the uniform of the thing they're enjoying. They'll often paint their face and put on makeup. And they'll shout really loud and emphatically for the things that they support. So I've either just described a football fan or a Klingon fan. There are similarities, but we'll get them into the theater as well. You mentioned other performances and other programs that you might be doing. So tell me tell me a little bit about your theater group. Is it Comedia Beauregard? Yeah, Comedia Beauregard. It literally means theater that's beautiful in expression. What we do is we do translation works. It means that, for instance, we've done The Jeweler Shop by Pope John Paul II, which he wrote before he was Pope and when he was still an active playwright and actor. Uh, he wrote it in Polish. We've done a number of plays from Spanish. We've done French plays, Czech plays. We did the Czech play uh, RUR, Rossum's Universal Robots, which invented the word robot uh, back in the 1920s. We have done a number of things that push the boundaries of what are translation. Uh, we once commissioned a ballet uh, choreographer to create a ballet based on a Nietzsche essay. And we often do a project called Masterworks in which we commission new plays based on works of art, paintings from different museums, and translating those into works for the stage. We basically have been doing that for 10 years now in the Twin Cities, and they half the company is still operating there, and then uh, we'll launch with this here, with the Klingon show, and then we have a Masterworks uh, scheduled for March at Gorilla Tango. That will be the Museum of Bad Art plays, which we've done in the Twin Cities before, but we are having some Chicago playwrights treat some of those works of art as well. So Christopher, as the artistic director for the troupe, what drives your play selections? Well, a couple of different things. First one is just uh, looking at what would be interesting to do, what has not received a new translation recently, or what plays are out there that have been translated that are that need to be seen uh, in an English-speaking society. When it comes down to it, most of the Western theatrical canon prior to Shakespeare and then even afterward is actually not English-based. You get the Greek plays that started everything off, the Roman plays that followed, you get Italian and French plays, there's uh, Strindberg and Ibsen from Scandinavia, there's the Russian plays of Chekhov and so on, and all the French plays of Moliere and uh, Fado and all those who came afterward. And so there's so much out there from other languages, just in the established canon. But there's also so many new plays being done around the world that we feel those things shouldn't be missed. And so we find what those plays are that resonate from other countries to us, and we, we look at them. That's number one. Uh, number two is, you know, we are a business, even though we're a nonprofit business, we are in the business of trying to get people in. And so we do try to choose projects that will appeal to people who 
aren't necessarily normally theater goers because it's part of our duty to make sure that the theater audiences continue to grow. Well, Christopher, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to speak with us today. I wish you much success with the show, or, or as a fellow Klingon would say, kapla. Kapla, Success and honor. Chris's show, A Klingon Christmas Carol, is currently performing or will begin performing tonight at the Greenhouse Theater Center, which is at 2257 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago, about two blocks south of Fullerton. Tickets are available at 773-404-7338 or from greenhousetheater.org. If you're looking for more information, please visit their website at www.cbtheater.org. That's theater spelled with T-R-E, not T-E-R. And uh, again, Christopher, uh, thank you for your time, and uh, I'm sure tonight will be a great success. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing all of that. Uh, really some great information. This really sounds like a cool um, thing to see, something you'd always remember. You know, how many times... I, I, I love the whole story of A Christmas Carol. So, uh, you know, I've seen movies and, and performances before, but singing it in, or seeing it in Klingon would be just, you know, pretty cool, I think. <laughs> see these guys, you know, fighting on stage and with bat lifts and, and the costumes and the makeup and everything like that. So uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out myself personally. And I'm going to take a very short break here. I'm going to come back and announce the winner to our contest. I'm going to get that out of the way, and then I'm going to go right into the uh, discussion of the Enterprise episode, Carpenter Street. So I'll be right back. It's here. The follow-up release to my Stargazer music project, M.W. Orbit. The short story and musical journey of an artificially intelligent probe launched by NASA to explore the Milky Way galaxy. Greetings. I am MW Orbit from the planet Earth. Is there anyone there? To purchase your copy of MW Orbit, Head on over to mw-orbit.com to listen to samples, download your free bonus song, and purchase your digital instant download from CD Baby. discovery from the perspective of a small robot probe named M.W. Orbit. Short story and musical journey. 
Get your copy today at mw-orbit.com. Okay, yeah, everyone should uh, check out uh, Rick Moyer's new project, uh, the MW Orbit uh, musical project. You can get that stuff uh, at uh, CD Baby, and just I'll put links in the podcast notes. And, and uh, in there's you know you can always follow what Rick said on his promo there. So now we're going to get into uh, first announcing this contest. I have a um, a giveaway. Uh, somebody was kind enough to uh, email me and has a giveaway set for. The first season of Space 1999, I announced this contest on last week's podcast and got some entries from you guys that listened. Uh, I believe, again, this is for the Blu-ray set I think they're giving away. I'm pretty sure. Uh, it may just be DVDs. It wasn't quite clear on the email that they sent me, but I, I, I said, you know, hopefully everyone who entered here has a, the ability to play Blu-ray discs. Anyway, the way I'm doing this, I don't have all my dice and stuff with me here in the apartment. I went to random.org or I'm at random.org, and I have a list of the entries right here. There's actually only nine, so your uh, your chances are not too bad, you know, if you entered this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to click on this random number generator. I've, I've entered in the numbers one to nine. I'm going to click on it. I've decided I'm not going to take the first uh, entry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the third just completely uh, at random. Sometimes random number generators I have found over the years, electronic ones, tend to be a little weird when you when you grab the first one that, that pops out. At least in my opinion, it's, it's I don't know, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> so we're going to take the third one. So let's see, one, two, three. Okay, it's there, the, well, that's weird. The third choice or whatever, when I put that in, is the third guy on the list. For the entries, who is John? Let's see, John Kozlowski. And uh, you are the winner of the Space 1999 set. Woohoo! Aren't you lucky? Aren't you lucky? So, John, what you need to do is email me uh, within the next week, uh, hopefully within the next week, hopefully very soon, and email me your uh, mailing address, and I will pass that on to the contest giveaway people, and then we will uh, go from there. I'm going to put one, uh, well, I was going to do a backup one, but we're not going to bother with that. I'm just going to figure John's going to uh, going to uh, get back to me. So, John, yeah, it's all up to you, man. And I'll, I'll have a backup one here on a piece of paper, too, just in case he doesn't get back to me. And if that happens, I'll just contact someone else, I guess. So, all right. Now, shifting gears, click, 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 click. That's my gear shifting. You hear that? That's how my... Oh, where did that ever, I guess, well, that makes sense with cars, not people. People don't really have gears. They just have, you know, aching joints sometimes or whatever. <laughs> I don't have aching joints. All right, we're getting off now into talking about Carpenter Street. Let me give you some background, and since this is a clip show, I'm going to be probably talking about it a little bit more than playing audio from it. And we we haven't done, you know, most of the, the, the recent Trek episodes I've looked at have been you know, I'll play the episode and uh, talk about it. And I know I've had some issues with adjusting the right volumes of the two things of my voice and the and the, the episode itself. Uh, but uh, today will be a little easier since that's not going to happen. It's just going to be me talk, clip, me talk, clip, that kind of thing. So Enterprise, uh, which again, 
I, I really, you know, love this series. I, I wish it had gone on more than four seasons, but you know, that's that's the situation. So, uh, this episode, uh, a summary, uh, I guess, a brief summary of it is: the Zindi have uh, figured out a way and have gone back in time on Earth uh, to about the year two thousand and four, which just so happens to be around the same year that this episode of Enterprise was filmed appropriately. You know, or, uh, pretty much I think every Trek series has done this. You know, the original series did it with Assignment Earth. You know, they, they've done this in, in each one, and it's, it's always, like I said, fun, I think, when they do this. And I think I've covered most of these type of episodes. Anyway, Carpenter Street was written by or Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, directed by Mike Viger, who is a pretty seasoned regular director of Enterprise. This episode involves uh, Daniels, the time-traveling future guy who comes back and kind of, you know, talks to Archer, Captain Archer, several times throughout the course of the series about different things. He says that they've picked up an anomaly where there have been some Zindi that they've detected in Earth's past, and he wants to send Archer and one other person back in time to see what's going on and uh, hopefully get them out of there. Uh, and they give them these little time time little tags that they basically can stick these little tags on the Zindi and whatever else equipment that they might have back there and get it all sent back to the, uh, well, the the present era of Enterprise's era. So, And, you know, of course, season three was the season arc with the Zindi building that weapon to try to wipe out Earth, mostly because they were worried, of, you know, they had found some prediction of Earth being a, 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 you know, the destroyer of their race, so they were sort of doing a preemptive thing. But that's sort of a side uh, topic here. Of course, Archer decides to take to Paul, you know, because, you know, Vulcans, of course, fit so well into Earth's past. And they don't really bring that up in this episode very much. You know, T'Pol has the advantage, unlike Spock, when they went back in time. T'Pol's kind of got hair that she can kind of cover up her little pointy ears with. So uh, that doesn't come into play as much. But this is just a fun episode. It, it's kind of a serious one little uh, along the lines of, you know, little side trivial notes uh, or or things you may not realize. This is like one of the only episodes of, of, of Trek or Enterprise that ever got like a TV-14 rating. And the reason is actually kind of interesting. They're, at the very beginning of it, there's sort of a little hint of, of, of prostitution in the episode, even though nothing's ever really done or shown on screen. But because of that, that it, this this episode got a, a an, kind of an oddball rating for a Star Trek episode. Not, not very common at all. Um, but... Um, so that probably gives you enough background before we get into the clips, and which is what I'm going to do. Oh, the the other thing for me, at least personally, about this episode that's kind of fun is they go back in time. It's supposed to be set on Carpenter Street, or also uh, the the bigger general area is it's supposed to be set in Detroit, in Detroit, Michigan, which you know of all the towns and all the cities uh, to to pick out of the country. Of course, they set it in Detroit, but the episode of since Enterprise was not filmed, you know, it was filmed out in L.A., they did not, of course, do a location thing for this episode. That would have been way too expensive to take everything and everyone to Detroit and film some things there. They'll do that for movies, but TV shows tend not to do that too much. Although Doctor Who is finally going to do a, a, an episode filmed in the United States, so that's kind of cool. But that's unusual uh, to, to either go to another country, let alone another state in the United States, to to film. And you'll notice uh, most of this episode actually plays, takes place uh, in in darkness. It's it's at night for the most part. 
So they can get away with a lot, and there are back alleys and abandoned warehouses and buildings that things are going on in. But I did notice as I was going through collecting clips this morning that at the very end of the episode, and I'll mention this again as we you know wrap things up and I play one of the later clips, that at the end it's dawn or it's early morning and the sun's coming up and there's a shot uh, definitely in the episode that you can see mountains in the background and it's like there are no mountains in Detroit. I've looked. There are no mountains in Detroit. So there's a little goof there, uh, but, you know, it's not a big deal, and it's a pretty quick shot at the end of the episode, but I I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, And, you know, they do at least keep the palm trees away, and you don't see too many palm trees or anything like that to give it away. And most of the time, like I said, because it's dark, you you can really pretty much say you were any city, you know, almost anywhere, and it would work. It looks pretty Detroit-like. Most of the buildings they pick... You know, they look kind of brick and, and abandoned, which is pretty much Detroit these days. So, all right, let's uh, let's get into the clips. Here's the first one. Why are you here? We've detected three Zindi where they're not supposed to be. This expanse is filled with Zindi. I'm not talking about the expanse. I'm talking about Detroit, Michigan, 150 years ago. Sorry to get you up, but this couldn't wait. Come in. I just had a visit from Daniels. I think all your doubts about time travel are about to go out the window. Meaning? Daniels and his team have discovered three reptilians on Earth in the early 21st century. He wants to send us back to find out what they're doing. Us? He told me I could bring one person, no more. If Daniels is the time traveler he claims to be, why doesn't he find out for himself? It took him a long while to get permission to interact with me. There are clearances. He said it would take too much time. I would think he would have all the time in the world. He said the three Zindi traveled to Earth from our century. They've been there for two months. They're not sightseeing, Paul. We have to find out what they're up to. How are we supposed to accomplish this? He wants us to meet him in the command center at 0800 tomorrow. Come on, boy. Check the database. Find something to wear that won't stand out in 2004. Yeah, so obviously that clip is Daniels uh, appears, uh, Archer is in raiding the kitchen or the pantry there in the the evening, and he's got Porthos with him and uh, feeding him some cheese, and then Daniel shows up and is petting Porthos and tells uh, Archer what's going on and what, what he wants, and what he needs him to do and, and that kind of stuff. And, and, and Archer's not too happy with Daniels because, you know, he's always popping up and telling him a little bit of stuff, but not everything. He's kind of like Yoda in a way, you know. He's like, mm, back to Detroit you must go, yes? <laughs> so, you know, it's, of course, Daniels doesn't talk like Yoda. That doesn't work. But anyway, the uh, so, you know, Archer isn't really, he's not in Daniels fan club. That's, you know, basically it. And, and this, uh, you know, the the season and, and during season three, Archer gets more and more desperate, you know, as they're trying to, you know, 
find out what's going on with this indie weapon and all of that. And this is about a, a midway of the season episode. I think it was maybe the 10th episode of this season, 11th. Yeah, it's 11th. It was first aired in November, the end of November uh, in 2003. So there you go. All right, uh, next clip. Set this one up a little bit, I guess. I'll try to do that with some of them. The uh, This is something they do in Trek. They've done it a few times. I did it in a piece of the action in the original series. You always, when you go down, back to Earth, it's always fun when you know people from the future have to deal with the 20th or 21st century technology and there's a couple you know two or three good moments like that in this episode which makes it kind of fun and you know it's a fairly serious episode because you know to Paul and Archer are going back you know to stop these Zindi and they're they're kidnapping these people and and experimenting on them and getting their blood type and, and stuff and all that but uh but the uh, when they when T'Pol and Archer first uh, go back in time, and one thing that, that's interesting is is they don't make a big deal out of the time traveling aspect of this. T'Pol and Archer kind of put on some you know twenty early twenty first century outfits. They go into a room and then bang, they're back in time. I, I mean they don't they don't elaborate on any of that, and I, I find that okay. I mean you know Daniels is supposed to be this this time traveler and, and watcher of the timeline from the thirtieth century, so. I, I, I can accept that they they just do this somehow, and that they have technology that allows them to do it uh, without really any you know. It's not like they comes back; he has to build something and send them back in time that way or anything. So, but once they get back in time, uh, Archer uh, and T'Pol need to find these Zindi and what's going on. So of course they need transportation, and that leads them to a little uh, carjacking uh, operation. <laughs> Have you ever operated a vehicle from this period? I can pilot a starship. R&D, two, three, four. I suggest you begin with two. Foot controls. you've activated your external lighting. What year is that map from? 2002. It was the closest I could find in the Starfleet database. The layout shouldn't have changed a lot in two years. Turn starboard on 24th Street. If that thing has a scanning radius of three kilometers, how far are we going to have to drive to cover the entire city? I've created a search grid that requires a journey of approximately 80 kilometers. But it's probable we'll find them before we complete it. Yeah, that's fun. It, it, you know, it's always enjoyable when it's like, oh yeah, I can I can drive a car. I can pilot a starship, so certainly I can I can drive a car. You know, that's... Uh, and he does a pretty good job. They don't have a real big problem with it. I mean, un unlike... Uh, in uh, a piece of the action where Kirk has to drive a car with, you know, manual shifting and everything, you know, this is an automatic and, you know, it's pretty much like push the pedals, steer it. That's about all you really got to worry about. Don't crash into anyone. So Archer does okay with that. Of course, he first forgets to turn on his lights, but that's, uh, you know, T'Pol's there to help him out with that. 
The next clip uh, introduces the, the, the sort of main character from the past, Earth character, not, not one of the Zindi. This guy's name is Loomis. And let's see, he is played by Leland Orser. He turns up as a guest star. Oh, Matt Winston is Daniels, just so you know. Uh, the uh, This guy named uh, Leland Orser, this actor, turns up in a lot of different guest roles over the years. He was also on a DS9 episode, Sanctuary. He was also in DS9, The Dice Cast, and Voyager's episode, Revulsion. So he, he's a pretty, uh, you know, he's had several parts, on uh, guest roles on, on Trek. What I wanted to mention here, though, the character, his name is Loomis. For some reason, there are a lot of references, little little, kind of sneaky little references. For some reason, they reference the original 1978 Halloween film, which I looked at just this past Halloween on the podcast. The, uh, the title, for example, Carpenter Street, they used, uh, or that came up, or they got that from, that's not really that I know of a street in Detroit. There may be one, possibly. I, I don't know all the streets there, but I've never really heard it. And it seems to be a fairly busy street or a big street. Anyway, they, they used the name uh, from John Carpenter for the name of the street that all this action kind of takes place on. Loomis, of course, uh, this guy that's uh, collecting these people for the Zindi, is a reference to Dr. Lewis, who was played by Donald Pleasance in Halloween. Uh, Lawrence Stroud, who's another person in the in the past, the uh, is a reference to Laurie Stroud, who was the Jamie Lee Curtis character. And then Loomis also talks during the episode about someone named Mr. Myers, which is a reference to, of course, Michael Myers, which is the uh, uh, main, you know, bad guy in, in Halloween. So it, lots of things. And oh, Loomis also drives an old station wagon, kind of like the one Michael Myers drives when he escapes from the insane asylum in Halloween. So for some reason, they, they decided to use Halloween to uh, to have some fun and uh, slip some references in. And they're all pretty subtle, for you know. But hey, if you need character names and things like that, why not? Mind the past. So uh, the uh, next clip, let's see. We're at clip three. And yeah, so the, the reason I mentioned all this is this next clip, I believe, introduces the character of uh, Loomis, who is, who is not the most moral and, and, and good guy to be uh, uh, representing the, the year 2004 and Earth's past. We've decided to compensate you for the final three patients in one payment. Well, that's not what we agreed. You said I'd get paid for each one. Bring us the last two blood types and you will be compensated. We should wait a while, a few more days at least. There was something on the news. Cops are starting to get complaints that people have gone missing. We can't wait a few more days. We need the last two. Look, as soon as they figure out that all these people here have been to the clinic, it won't take a rocket scientist to point the finger at me. Then I suggest you finish your work quickly. Look, I don't know what you guys are up to, and I don't want to know. It's not my business. But the cops don't take kindly to people who help terrorists. I gotta be real careful. We will double your fee for the final three. But the last two must be here by tomorrow. Double. Tomorrow. Yeah. All right. I'll have them here by tomorrow. Yeah, so that, uh, you know, you get a little taste of what's going on there. Another thing about this, ah, I seem to need a lot of tea today, this morning. Uh, a little dry in here now with the heat on and all that. Um, 
Another thing about this episode that they don't really go into detail on too much about the, the with the Zindi and everything is you know they're they're getting all these different blood types to to do this work with but what what I don't quite follow with that is wouldn't this guy that this guy works at some kind of a a medical place a clinic a blood bank or something I I forget exactly what it's called but the it wouldn't just some blood you know of all these different blood types why why do they really need these these people they don't seem like they're testing the this uh toxin that they're creating on the people they're all still alive no one's died that i, I remember from the episode or could tell so uh, w- wouldn't just some bags of blood be good enough i i don't quite get that i guess and i'm not a a biologist or a medical type person so may- maybe there's a reason i don't know maybe they needed fresh blood you know maybe they're vampires oh no that's next week on the podcast <laughs> anyway um but so it's just kind of a little side comment so what happens then is uh Archer and Paul pretty quickly and pretty, you know, relatively easily. You know, it's only a 42 or so minute episode, so they can't spend a lot of time looking around for what's going there. But they do have their tricorders, and they create a search grid, and they, they manage to find Loomis and capture him. And, you know, his reaction to them, of course, he thinks they're cops, uh, and, and they've caught him. What he's doing, he's taking these people to these other people. And so there's uh, the next clip, and I think this is a fairly long clip that I got, was... Um, Archer and Paul, mostly Archer, interrogating Loomis to find out, you know, what what he's up to and what's going on. Tell us about your friends on Carpenter Street. I've never been to Carpenter Street. You were there an hour ago with a man in a wheelchair. Now tell me who's inside that factory. I told you I don't know what you're talking about. I think it's time you find me a lawyer. Untie him. You heard him. Untie me. doing that with you tied up. Carpenter Street. You're not allowed to hit me. Untie him again. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't know who he is. I swear to God. A doctor, maybe. Says he's working on a vaccine, experimental. He doesn't have approval or something like that. So he needed me to bring him people. Does it seem logical to you that legitimate medical research is being conducted in an abandoned factory? I thought about that. Just tonight, I thought maybe he's some kind of a terrorist. But I swear, if I knew that for a fact, I never would have agreed to help him. In one individual, we've managed to find the worst qualities of this era. Greed, violence, moral corruption. But he said he wasn't going to hurt anybody. I just saw them an hour ago. They're all okay. How many? Five. No, no, six. The wheelchair guy was number six. How did this doctor find you? I told you I work at the blood bank. He wanted someone from every blood type. Eight blood types, eight people. He figured I had access to that kind of information. Did he also figure that you'd have no compunctions about abducting people? What's he paying you? Five thousand apiece, double for the last three. Is that what human life is worth in the 21st century? I told you, he said he wasn't going to hurt any of them. What does he look like? He only calls me on the phone. I saw him 
A couple of times, but he stays in the shadows. You know, he's kind of tall. That's all I can tell you. Why don't you let me go? I swear to you, I will never do it again. You are going to do it again. That is, if you have any hope of staying out of prison. What are you talking about? These two files, A, B positive and B negative. They're the final two? Yeah. Well, then you're looking at your next victim. A healthy male with B negative blood. Yeah, I, I like that, uh, you know, very Kirk-like, and, and Archer always kind of reminded me a little bit of, uh, of having a lot of Kirk, kind of in a lot of action, is in you know, action in his personality and everything, and he tells T'Pol to untie the guy, the guy thinks he's okay, and then it's like, and then, he, then he just slugs him, <laughs> and he's kind of a wormy little guy anyway, so Archer's pretty, e you know, it's pretty easy for him to intimidate him a bit, and the guy kind of starts spilling his guts at that point, and, and leads them on to the Zindi, and and then they realize, you know, conveniently enough that one of the blood types they're still looking for happens to be Archer's blood type. So he uses that of a way to get into the uh, place where the Zindi are working with the other uh, people that are unconscious there and, and figure out what's going on. So that's, uh, that's where all that leads to. And the next clip... The next one is another fun scene, one of the other fun scenes in this. They they also, I don't think I got a clip from it, but they also got some money from an ATM uh, at one point in this episode. Pull, you know, steal a little bit of money, and, and, and Archer has a line or says something like, you know, people used to go to jail for doing this, and they don't really show how much money they got out, but I guess they got enough, enough to get some food, which leads us to the next one where Loomis is complaining, says he's a little hungry. So the... Uh, they on their way to to take Archer to uh, you know kind of slip him in. They stopped at this drive-through, and uh, this is fun because of course they're ordering this stuff at a drive-through. And to Paul being a Vulcan is there, and, and and Archer and and Loomis wants you know what he wants and and all. It's it's just great because it's always fun when the people from you know Star Trek future and all are in the past and having to deal with you know things we do every day. What side of the street is it on? I'll have a double super beef, no lettuce. One double super beef without lettuce, please. You can make that a triple, it's only 40 cents extra. Do it. A double will be fine. Would you like to make that a combo? Yeah, fries and a medium root beer. Will there be anything else today? A hamburger, ketchup only. You can make that a double for only 40 cents extra. No, thank you. Would you like to make that a combo? No, no combo. Will there be anything else to make? Does the Fiesta salad contain animal products? No, but we can add three strips of bacon for only 75 cents more. Nothing for me, thank you. Sure. Quiet. Yeah, that's uh, it's good. There, uh, there's another part there a little bit later where um, uh, Loomis is trying to offer to Paul one of his French fries, you know, and she just kind of you know grimaces at eating, even eating that. So <laughs> it's it's uh, good stuff, good stuff. So you know, overall, this episode moves pretty quickly. There's not a lot uh, to it. It's not a really complicated episode, but it's a fun one. It is up on the Trex and Sci-Fi forum streaming. I've got a couple more clips to play from it, and then I've got some listener uh, comments on this episode as well, which is great always to get those. Thanks, guys. 
the next one, this is going to be some of the action towards the end. Uh, eventually, Archer engages kind of the Zindi, knocks out their ability, their little teleport device for them to get back to the to the future, and, and takes out a few of them, but there's still one that escapes, and they, they you know he kind of chases after them. Actually, a couple escape, and, and one more gets zapped down by their uh, phase pistols, but and then one has the uh, the toxin that he's trying to release, uh, even though it, they haven't completed it to work on all blood types. They're on kind of a rooftop, and he's going to release it, and, and Archer and Paul are going after him. So some of this isn't very uh, money words. You'll just hear a lot of like uh, phase pistol fire and Zindi weapon fire, but it's um, it's still worth doing, and it's sort of towards the end of the episode. So this is how they eventually subdue the last Zindi and, and get the toxin and save Detroit. Woohoo! trying to release the toxin. We've eliminated his only means of returning to his own century. Perhaps he has no other choice. If he's trying to destroy humanity, he's not going to be able to do it with that. They only modify the virus for six blood types. If they can infect three quarters of Earth's population, it's unlikely humans would pose a threat to them in the future. Let's hope he can't see in the dark. Keep laying down fire. So that's the clip um, that gets them to uh, the the final, um, you know, successful mission in the past. <laughs> and then they put a tag on the on the Zindi there that's down. The last clip that I have for you to listen to this one, what they do is they go into this room when T'Pol and Archer first left, and then uh, when they come back, they come basically basically come back out of the same room, and 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 Trip is still there. And he, he's like, oh, you guys just left. Of course, time travel, you know, you, you, you go in the past, even though a couple days go by in the past. The, uh, then they uh, don't have, uh, you know, any time lost in the future. They pretty much come back just within, you know, seconds after they leave. And then uh, T'Pol shows in the room, the Zindi are there and the equipment from the past. So they brought everything back. Everything's all good. And then there's one last little clip set in the past where they show the P- Detroit Police Department 
capturing and, and taking Loomis, who, who abducted all these people into custody. And this is the shot towards the end here that I was mentioning earlier about where you can see the mountains in the background of the mount, mountains of Detroit. <laughs> so listen to this. Problem, sir? It's done. Sir? Archer 2, Lieutenant Reed. Go ahead. Get a team down to the command center on the double. Aye, sir. Wait here for Malcolm. Have everything brought to Cargo Bay 2. I've got to get this to Phlox. What's going on? Come with me. So that's uh, Carpenter Street from season three of Enterprise. Hope you enjoyed that, uh, you know, real pretty quick, pretty brief uh, look at the episode. Uh, I think it's a fun one. It's, uh, you know, there's a couple other little uh, tidbits uh, related to this episode. Uh, You won't see Dr. Phlox or Anthony Montgomery or or Linda Park, any of them, you know, uh, Mayweather, uh, Sato, Hoshi, and Phlox. None of them are in this episode. Dominic Keating, even, you only hear him. So most of the most of the regular cast is not here. You know, it's obviously mostly just Archer and T'Pol in Earth's past for this particular one. Uh, there is a, you know, but again, it's a it's a fun episode. Uh, the uh, the civilian costume that uh, Jolene Blaylock uh, was wearing to Paul was uh, was auctioned off at the It's a Wrap uh, sale and auction. Uh, anyway, the um, you know there's um, Lots of fun things in this episode. I, I, I like the ones where they get to go back in the past. That's always, it's kind of a little fish out of water kind of a setting and everything. So uh, I've got some uh, listener comments, quite a few actually, and I'm going to have to save a couple for next week. But we're going to play at least the the Carpenter Street related ones. Uh, but first up, before the Carpenter Street related comments, I'm going to play uh, one from Kenny. He's been doing some catching up listening to the podcast lately. Uh, and uh, that will be coming up uh, right now. Hey, Rico, this is Kenny from California. I'm also a host of Knights of the Guild podcast. Just throwing a little plug in there. I'm actually sending you this audio message because I got a new job, and it's uh, some distance away from my house, and I've been uh, catching up on your Trucks and Sci-Fi podcast along with lots of other people's podcasts. I've just really, really fallen behind, and 
I just wanted to tell you how much I enjoy your latest podcast. I've listened to, I think it's from number 298, which was the Skype call, which was fantastic. It's so much fun to hear, especially since I, all you guys are my friends. I talk to you online constantly. And it was so much fun to hear your guys' thoughts. And I so wish I was there to, to join you guys. But uh, it, it, it was fun to listen to. Uh, then I listened to 299, which was your Mrs. Rico podcast. And I laughed so hard all the way to work, made the traffic so much more bearable, and uh, I really appreciate it. You guys are funny, funny, funny duo, um, and I really enjoyed that. Then uh, I, I didn't watch the, the number 300, the Jim, uh, Jim's podcast, but I listened to it, um, and that was a lot of fun to hear other people's ideas of, of what movies and TV series they think are those hidden gems, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And then I listened to uh, Peak Performance, which was fantastic. That was your guest podcast with Rick. Such a fun episode. And, and Rick is always good when he comes in as a guest host. So that was really, really enjoyable. Then I did Collectibles, which was a lot of fun. That was 305. Um, I'm a huge collector, as you know, as I sent in a piece for that. Um, so that was fun to hear other people's uh, thoughts on collecting. And then I listened to your 306, which was Change of Heart, which is one of my favorite DS9 episodes with Jadzia and Worf. Found it very interesting. I had no idea that Terry Farrell wanted Jadzia to die at the end of this episode. So I always enjoy your commentary because I always learn something new, even though I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Uh, I still learn things, which is always, always nice. Then I listened to a 307, which was your road show, and that was a lot of fun. Very enjoyable. I would hope you would do those more. I don't know how dangerous it is driving and talking, but um, they're, I just like it because it's very personable. It's like we're sitting next to you in the passenger seat, and we're just having a geek conversation back and forth, and uh, that's a lot of fun. And uh, I do want to make one comment on, on that show. You did mention Clone Wars and how you kind of aren't haven't been thrilled with season three i have to agree with you i don't know what it is about season three but i don't know season one was fun because it was new season two was incredible i think the majority of the episodes were hits all the way and with season three they've been definitely hit and miss and i think they've had more misses than hits not that it's bad i mean any star wars is better than anything on tv but after such a you know a, a stellar season two I was kind of disappointed in uh, in where season three has gone. It's been in more political intrigue and less fighting and less character development. And the fact that they're bouncing around the timeline, which is kind of crazy because Zero's in jail one moment, then he's out of jail the next episode, and then he's back in jail another episode. It's just kind of jarring when you're trying to figure out character development. And I don't know if that's the reason why I'm, I am not, you know, loving every single episode like I did with season two. I know they say they have big stuff coming up, so I am looking forward to seeing where it goes. But I just wanted to uh, to let you know that you're not the only one who's kind of eh on season three. I guess that's going to do it. Keep up the great job. I can't wait. I'm actually listening to further back podcasts. Uh, I've, like I said, I fell really, really behind. So I've uh, really been trying to catch up. And you don't realize how much you miss something until you... Uh, start listening to it again because that's how i feel with the trucks and sci-fi podcast is that i've i you know you get so caught up in your life and you you let podcasts fall to the side but then you listen to them you're like oh, this is why i listened to it in the beginning because it's so fantastic so thank you so much for keeping me occupied during my long 
commute into work every day. I enjoy listening to every all your little tidbits, behind-the-scenes info. Everything you have to offer is fantastic, so I really appreciate it. All right, I guess that's going to do it. Take care, Rico. Bye. Oh, thanks, Kenny. I'm so glad that I'm uh, helping out on your long uh, commute that you have now. It's and and I know exactly how you feel about you know when you don't things you know you only got so many hours in the day and and other things start to intrude and and then you finally listen to something or you do something you've never you haven't done in a long time or watch something and get caught up. It's yep, I feel the same way, bud. So uh, I'm glad that you've been enjoying the podcast. I, I, I always try to keep it you know variety and mix it up. Uh, as much as I can. One comment related to your uh, talk about the Clone Wars, I, I, I briefly touched on that at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah, and, and I even saw this weekend's most recent one, which was all about you know the Senate trying to pass this 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 appropriation for getting all these all you know they needed to get all this this huge loan, twenty five percent, and they're like unregulated banking and and, and I'm. What gets me about this, and, and I'm with you, you know, I still enjoy Star Wars and I enjoy these things to a degree, but here's what's really getting to me about all this Clone Wars stuff, and I hope people will send in other audio comments and maybe we can do another Clone Wars kind of roundup here at some point in the future. But isn't this show mainly geared towards, like, kids, kind of? To You, you think kids are enjoying these episodes? If adults can't, you know, are, are kind of meh, on the on these recent episodes that they're doing what do they think kids are thinking about these things like this one where padme was you know talking to the senate and they were trying you know these bounty hunters were kind of going after her and there was a little action but i'm just thinking like you know a 10 year old kid like for example my wife lynn uh one of the teachers she works with has a boy and he's about i think he's about eight eight or nine and and this kid loves star wars he is a huge he, he just loves this. When he comes over, he's come over to our house a couple times, and he sees my basement with my lightsabers and all that stuff. He His just eyes just light up and glow. You know, he, he, he loves it. And I know I've heard that he really likes Clone Wars, but I cannot see him sitting down and really enjoying these recent episodes of the show. So, again, you don't have to have every show with, you know, Jedi fighting, a lightsaber swinging, but... I, I, I'm not understanding this. I can see them slipping in now and then, you know, this kind of stuff, but there's been a good maybe four or five like this, you know, poisoning the, the food supply on this planet and you know, whatever. I don't know. All right, that's enough about that. Now we're going to go back to talking a little bit more about Carpenter Street. Thanks again for your comment, Kenny. And we've got uh, Mike Feathers on the forum. who uh, He's got some comments here about this episode of uh, Enterprise. So take it away, Mike. Here we go, Mike, from a rather snowy London. Well, it's pretty much melted now, so not as snowy as it was, but certainly had a cold few days. Just going to make a couple of comments about the Carbon Street episode of Enterprise. I'm not going to make too many, and it's because I'm in the rather odd position of I, I'm talking about something here that I wasn't particularly fond of when I saw it. I haven't gone back and rewatched it again. It may be something I'll do, but I'm not sure I'm going to find the time in the next day or so to do that. But it is one I remember from original airing. Uh, it's one I remember being a little bit disappointed in. Uh, the thing it put me in mind of at the time, and uh, it's probably not a complimentary statement in itself, was the whole Galactica 1980 series, where they tried to insert Cylons and Vipers and Colonial Warriors and things into modern day, as it was then, United States, which was a bit of a hash of a program, really, didn't do a lot for me at all, and, and was a disappointing end to the original Galactica, uh, as a, an attempted revival or whatever it was. This episode of Enterprise pretty much did the same for me. You know, part of me wants to say they were rushing through it because of the cancellation, but as a 
Zindi story. I doubt that's the case because we're still in season three here and, and don't know that they would have known they were going to be cancelled. I think the, the Zindi story was always supposed to be a, a single season run through in any case with only the ending getting messed around and taking it forward into season four fairly rapidly. So I don't think it was that. I mean, maybe it was because the um, modern day United States doesn't have a lot of similarity with my daily life. But again, having said that, we get an awful lot of US television over here. I pretty know, pretty much know what the televised US is like. I probably don't know what the real US is like. But certainly as portrayed on television, which is what this was trying to do after all, then I'd say I'm pretty familiar with that. But just something in it didn't really work for me. I'm normally a fan of the, the time travel stories. I like time paradoxes, trying to work out who, what, when, where and why and this cancelling that out, etc, etc. Uh, when they took Voyager back to present day Los Angeles or wherever they did that one with uh, the time ship, Dr. Gideon's mobile emitter, that one worked quite well. I really quite enjoyed that. That was a, a, a fun... The, these sort of series, I normally find them fun when they do this sort of thing. Um, again, Deep Space Nine, obviously going back to uh, the time of Kirk and the Tribbles was really fun, but also going into their past, our future, and the ghetto for the unemployed, or whatever that storyline was. Again, I thought that one worked really well, had some interesting things to say, but just something about this Enterprise one didn't really do it for me, I'm afraid. But I know I've said I'll, I'll send you a comment for the last few weeks on various things, and I've always missed the deadline, so even though I've not necessarily got anything positive or anything so positive to say on this one, I, I thought I'd uh, I'd share my views with you anyway. I Perhaps I should go back and look at it again. I'll let you know if I, I change my mind when I do so, or if the podcast reintroduces me to some features of it that I've clearly forgotten about at the moment, then so much the better. I look forward to listening to it. Thanks. Well, thanks, Mike. Appreciate your comments. And yeah, you know, quite okay. And, you know, if this one didn't really grab you this episode, that's that's quite okay. And again, there I can understand that. Uh, it, it's certainly a, kind of a different episode for Enterprise. And it's uh, it's fairly straightforward, like I said a couple times, I think, as I was going through it. So, you know, perhaps that's it. And, and it's, you know, everyone has different tastes and things like that. I just find some of these, you know, amusing things. And I and I think I'm a, maybe a bigger Enterprise fan than perhaps you. Uh, that may be part of it, too. I don't know. But uh, but thanks for your comments. I, I want to mention, too, to both just here on the air to, to both uh, Kenny and Mike. You guys sent in a couple other comments related to Harry Potter. I'm going to have to hold those for, for time. This podcast is just going to be too long. But I will include those um, probably almost... Uh, well, so I don't lose them completely. <laughs> they will go on next week's podcast. So just wanted to mention that to you guys. I didn't uh, didn't forget about them, didn't lose them, but they will uh, be on next week's show. Uh, next up, we have Dave, uh, who is a big Enterprise fan, Dave Kill on the forums. He's going to talk a little bit about Carpenter Street. Hi, Rico and Trex and Sci-Fi fans. Hey, good pick for an Enterprise episode. This idea of starting Carpenter Street with no familiar actors was genius. I remember when this episode first came on thinking, hey, what happened to Enterprise? And almost turned it off. Wasn't until the opening credits that I realized that something was up. I like Trek episodes that are set in present day situations because we get a chance to see how our heroes deal in our day to day world. This whole story takes place in one night. It begins as Archer is up late in the gallery for a midnight snack with Porthos. 
and suddenly the feature guy shows up and tells him there's some real bad trouble brewing back on Earth, and Archer is the only guy with the experience to deal with it. Oh yeah, and he can take a friend. Archer and DePaul step through a door into our time, and the plot kicks up to a faster pace with the urgency that the Zendi have nearly completed another superweapon. We don't know how long they've worked to set up a bioweapons lab or find a willing human accomplice with the knowledge and skill to kidnap victims according to blood type. But using an average guy who stole patients' records from a blood bank certainly did make for a more interesting story. By this third season, Archer and DePaul had become a good team as they raced through Detroit like a couple of well-seasoned cops. And Archer has become a lot less diplomatic as demonstrated with his interrogation of the bad guy when caught at his apartment. DePaul, too, shows how cool and lethal a Vulcan can be by blocking her prisoners every attempt to escape, even with a wicked Emma Peel kick to the head before she has to stun him in the car. After the shootout with the Zindi, the crisis is averted, the sun comes up, and Detroit's finest show up to haul this poor schmuck away. This episode gets extra points because the mess they made didn't just magically disappear as we see back at the ship the confiscated lab equipment and three dead Zindi. I gotta say, I wish Enterprise had run for seven years because I'm sure we would have seen more Romulans. Well, that's all for now guys. Rico, thanks for featuring this most excellent Enterprise episode this week. Be seeing you. Thanks, Dave. Love your comments. Love the music. Uh, very Detroit-like playing in the background there during your uh, your uh, commentary on Enterprises' this Carpenter Street episode. Yeah, I forgot. I, I, I think I kind of glossed over. I didn't even mention, yeah, the first, and because and it's probably because I didn't really catch any clips from it for the show, but the first maybe five minutes or so of this episode, yeah, that you don't even really know what's going on. It just starts out right in Detroit in the past. And Loomis is driving around looking for his latest, you know, blood victim there, and for the Zindi and all that. And you're you're right. This uh, it, they do just kind of pull a little, kind of a, a you know a trick that they'll do on TV and movies where they they completely pull you out of the the, the normal kind of routine of the way the show begins. Uh, there, you know, every show kind of have its its own little formula after a while, and that was kind of neat. I, I like that. The only thing I was wondering about when you mentioned the, I'm not sure this all took place in one night. I had a little trouble following it, even watching it again this morning. It seemed like it was more than one night, but maybe it was. I don't know. Not a big deal. But again, I know you're a big uh, Enterprise fan, uh, Dave, so I'm really glad you could, you know, you had some time to uh, to send in a comment about the episode. And it is, uh, yeah, make sure you watch for those mountains of Detroit at the end when, like you say, Detroit's finest pull up and, and haul Loomis away. <laughs> all right, we've got one more clip and this I, I think I'm gonna save for the very end of the show because I think this is uh, Rick uh, Rick Moyer's clip and he's got a little song attached to the end of it so we're gonna save this but and I'm gonna kind of wrap up the show uh, before we uh, play that one but before I wrap it up completely a couple comments uh, one you can always find out stuff about the podcast at treksinsci-fi.com podcast notes uh, donation links uh, all, all kinds of good things over there in the forum please check that out and join i wanted to make mention of one thing if you have tried to join the forum 
And I've had quite a few people try recently. Most of the time in order to do that, you have to reconfirm that registration back via your email. So please make sure you check your email. Sometimes it even ends up in your spam folder. But if you register on the forum, make sure you re-check your email and then click that little link. You'll get sent back to confirm your registration. Because sometimes some of these, uh, well, let's just say registrations on forums, I, I, I generally do it that way because there's a lot of bots and, and, and fake ones and all kinds of spammers and things out there. So if you want to join the forum, make sure you check your email after you click to sign up. And sometimes it'll take maybe a few hours to get that before it'll show up in your box. I, I have to do that sort of manually, just so you know. So uh, next week, I am going to be looking at the big subject of vampires. Actually, I just watched the most recent Twilight movie last night, which was pretty good, Eclipse. And uh, I'll be talking all kinds about, you know, where they came from to begin with in literature and movies and TV appearances. It's going to be a big show, lots lots of different interpretations of vampires in 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 entertainment, let's just say, uh, to simplify it over the years. And so that's next week. In two weeks, it's going to be a guest podcast with uh, Dan and Tim from the forums are going to be looking at the TV show Chuck. And that's going to be a lot of fun. If you'd like to send comments in, your comments about Chuck, you can always send those to me, uh, treksf at gmail.com. Audio comments in MP3 format is best. Stereo MP3 is the best way to send those via email and then i'll forward those comments on to those guys i think that's going to do it i'm going to take us out here with rick's comments about uh carpenter street and what he has to say and then taking into uh, a song getting us into the the holiday mood i think so (laughs) thanks for this rick and i will um talk to everyone uh in about a week bye hi this is rick moyer from aberdeen how you doing rico how's everybody doing at treks in sci-fi land I hope you're doing well. Hey, I wanted to make a couple of quick comments on Carpenter Street um, Enterprise. What a it's a, just a, an amazingly well put together TV program, and this in particular episode had so many wonderful points in it. What I liked is they used the actor from Voyager, who was the crazy holodeck guy. Remember that, or the the crazy hollow guy. Uh, anyway, they use him as one of the main characters, the the guy that goes out and uh, gets the uh, patience for the Zindi. I thought that this episode was just really cool. I think any time that Star Trek came into our time, like, you know, the, the episodes where they would come to Earth at, during our time, just are really fascinating and fun because you get to see the characters in a different element, and it's it's always really nice. So it was fun to see Archer drive a pickup, and it was cool to see T'Pol, you know, trying to figure things out. I love the scene where they they pull up to the uh, drive-through. That's just classic, classic, classic stuff. And who can beat that? It's just just amazing, amazing things. So anyway, I thought that this was one of the the best um, Enterprise episodes in the Zindi arc, just because they came back to Earth. And it was fun to see uh, them in a different element. So I liked it. Uh, out of five stars, I give this one a, a four stars rating. Uh, good good stuff for Enterprise. Now that it's December, you know, we can play Christmas music now. And, and why not play some Trekmas music? Because we can. Uh, you can go over to ChristRocks.com slash Trekmas. And you can download for free the Merry Trekmas album with a couple bonus songs I did last year and really enjoy the season. And I wanted to play one of my favorites from the album uh, for you right now. And just wish everybody a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and I hope you have just an awesome holiday season. Bless you and enjoy this great Trekmas song. 
On the first day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me an honorary academy degree. On the second day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me two dilithium crystals and an honorary academy degree. On the third day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me three holodeck visits, two dilithium crystals and an honorary academy degree. On the fourth day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me four hats like Guinan's, three holodeck visits, two dilithium crystals and an honorary academy degree. On the fifth day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me Five huge pack legs that make us go. Four hats like Guinan's, three holodeck visits, two dilithium crystals, and an honorary academy degree. On the sixth day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me six type A phases, five huge pack legs. Can you make it go? Four hats like Guinan's, three holodeck visits, two dilithium crystals, and an honorary academy degree. On the seventh day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me seven replicators, six type A phasers, five huge pack legs. He is smart. Four hats like Guinan's, three holodeck visits, two dilithium crystals, and an honorary academy degree. On the eighth day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me eight Ractogeno, seven replicators, six type A phasers, five huge pack legs. We like power. Four hats like Guinan's, three holodeck visits, two dilithium crystals, and an honorary academy degree. On the ninth day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me nine Vulcan mind melts, eight Ractogeno, seven replicators, six type A phasers, five huge pack legs. We are far from home. Four hats like Guinan's, three holodeck visits, two dilithium crystals, and an honorary academy degree. On the tenth day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me ten chocolate sundaes, nine Vulcan mind melts, eight Ractogeno, seven replicators, six type A phasers, five huge pack legs, four hats like Guinan's, three holodeck visits, two dilithium crystals, and an honorary academy degree. On the eleventh day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me eleven batless swinging, ten chocolate sundaes, nine Vulcan mind melts, eight Ractogeno, seven replicators, six type A phasers, five huge pack legs. We are not strong. Four hats like Guinan's, three holodeck visits, two dilithium crystals, and an honorary academy degree. On the twelfth day of Christmas, Starfleet gave to me. Twelve space-time continuum, eleven batless swinging, ten chocolate sundays, nine Vulcan mind melts, eight Ractogeno, seven replicators, six type A phasers, five huge pack Our ship is the Mondor. Four hats like Guinan's, three holodeck physics, two lithium crystals, and an honorary academy degree. Sci-Fi 
have a comment, a suggestion, or a question, email Rico today at treksf at gmail.com. That's treksf at gmail.com. Now, what do you think that tells me about your character? Treks in Sci-Fi, the weekly podcast with geeky goodness and entertainment news. Copyright 2010. All rights reserved. I can assure you that I'm not given to casual relationships. Yes, you should. Goodbye.